Hello and welcome to Paranormal or What Podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. Hi, podcasters. How are you this week? Well, let's see what we've got for you. And it is indeed something very special, something I've been promising for a long time. We do finally have our interview with Deb Singleton. And it's a really good, fun, interesting interview. So get yourselves ready, snuggle down in that chair, get yourself a tot of something hot and fiery, or just hot, and get yourself ready. This is going to be a spooky, spooky ride. Take it away, Deborah. Welcome to Paranormal or What podcast with me, your host, Michaela Ford. And this week, finally, I've got hold of the lady herself. Deb Singleton is with us. Welcome, Deb. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. What am I welcoming you for? (laughs) Nice to be here. It's so nice to actually speak to you. How are you feeling? Not so bad, actually. Touch wood. Fingers crossed. Let's cross everything. Yeah. (laughs) Right, well, um, on this long-awaited um, chat that I'm going to have with you, basically, um, it's completely up to you what you'd like to chat about. Um, right. my, my main first question is going to be, of course, how did you get into the paranormal? And right. then I'd li- like to hear about your groups and, yep. and the things that you're passionate about. And then hopefully, if you've got some stories for us. Yes. That's no problem at all. Brilliant. Um, how I got into it? Well, I think I must have been about three. Um, I, I must have only just moved into a single bed from the cot. And I remember, and it was only a memory that was triggered recently. Um, I remember looking down and holding onto the edge of the bed and seeing the shape of a human being rolling about under the carpet. That was the very first. And like I say, that, that memory was buried until somebody mentioned it and my hand flew to my mouth. And I was like, I burst into tears because I, I remembered it vividly. Right. She was saying that her daughter had had the same thing, but these people, there were more than one person under the carpet, but they were sitting up. So the carpet was coming up with them. Oh, my goodness. And and But it triggered this memory of, of seeing somebody rolling about under the carpet. And it was... Oh my, my dad fitted um, one of those, you know, those really tight cord, really hard-wearing carpets. Yeah. Um, and it, it, there's just no explanation other than paranormal because obviously nobody would get under the carpet yeah. and the carpet wouldn't roll about like that. It was just, but this memory just must have been buried so far back. Wow. And how old were you morning. when it came back to you? Yeah, it was only two, about two or three years ago. We were all wow. sat as a group talking and somebody mentioned about a daughter having this experience. And I was like, oh my God, that happened to me. But it was only one one figure under the carpet, but... Yeah, it was enough to make me remember. So that was actually my very first experience, I suppose, yeah. And so what um, what got you interested in the paranormal before you remembered that story? Was it a gradual thing or have you always um, been interested in it? I've always been interested in it because my, my great-aunt was um, on my mum's side was a clairvoyant. She never did it as a, as a living, but she did it for family. 
Um, and she used to have sittings with my mum. And my mum had a little, well, I've got it now, but my mum had a little black book with all her messages that she got from spirit in it. Yeah. Um, and as, as things occurred, my mum kind of crossed them out. So I sort of, I've sort of been brought up with the spiritualism side of things. Yeah. And obviously I've been to the odd spiritualist church. Then I started going to an awareness group and was invited to a development group. Um, but that all went horribly wrong one day and I, I just knew I couldn't carry on doing it. No. Would, are you, do you want to talk about that or are you rather I can not? do. Yeah, yeah, I'd love uh, to hear. It was, we used to have the, uh, the development groups on a Tuesday afternoon and um, there was only about eight of us. There were two men and six women and then obviously June who ran it. And we, we always did like a guided meditation and they were absolutely amazing. June's spirit guide used to come through and take us to all these different places. It was like you'd been there. It was amazing. Wow. Anyway, we, we sort of all drifted in and got ourselves settled. And I felt like the chair that I was sat in, I felt like my head was up by the ceiling. I was so like a giant in the room. And June kept looking at me and I kept looking at her and I, I, she said, you're not right sat there. I said, no, I know I'm not. So I swapped seats and a couple of minutes later it happened again. And this went on a good five, six times. I kept moving chairs. Anyway, I ended up back in the original chair and I sort of sat there. I didn't feel 100%, but I wasn't doing the looming thing again. So she started the guided meditation and it felt like something had jumped into my body and was kind of flipping up and down inside really, really fast. And I couldn't speak. I couldn't open my eyes. I just, I couldn't do anything. I was just sat there. And luckily she looked up to check that we were all okay. And she must have spotted what was going on somehow. And she came and stood behind me. I don't know what she did, but I felt her put her hands really firmly on my shoulders. And she must have said something and whatever it was, it felt like a vacuum had sucked it out. Wow. And I was just like, I was absolutely shattered. I felt like all my energy had been drained. And so we, we broke the session up then and had a coffee and discussed it and, but she wanted us to, to start doing things like that at home, you know, practising oh, right. meditation right. and stuff. And I just, I felt that at that point I couldn't have done that because if my husband had walked in and found me like that, he'd have had me whipped off to hospital yeah. because I couldn't communicate or, and it really frightened me. Um, so I did go for another couple of sessions and then the insurance on the building was coming up and they'd, they'd like doubled the insurance for the two because it was during the day and, so she said, right, we're going to give up doing it at the church and I'll do it at home. And that was an ideal opportunity then for me to say, oh, you know, I'm going to pack it in kind of thing. But yeah. I think now, because I know a lot more and I know how to ground myself and protect myself, even though we did all that, mm. I think now I'd probably be able to cope a bit better. But back then, no, uh, couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's scary. It, it must be scary yeah. to learn the how to do these things. But to think of doing it by yourself would be... Yeah. I wouldn't like to do it by myself. No, there's too much. I mean, like I said, back then I probably was a bit more naive, but now I'd, mm. I'd be quite all right doing it. But obviously I, don't, I haven't got time to be doing stuff like that now. Yeah. <laughs> no time to relax. Never night. I meditate. Oh, I know. I, know. <laughs> I meditate at night time, but I, it's sort of cheating because I do it when I go to bed. Yeah, I only ever hear five minutes of it. Yeah, that's it, and you're out. Yeah. Mind you, it's working, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah. Um, I have been having some very, very vivid dreams, I have to say. Yeah, I get really vivid dreams as well. 
the type that stay with you for a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was yeah. reading something recently where it said that um, you can actually take control of lucid dreams. Yes. Um, and if you manage to have the dream and become aware of yourself dreaming while you're in the dream, then yes. apparently then you can control it. But I've only managed to do it. I haven't managed to control the dream at all, but I've managed yeah. to realize that I was in a dream once, yes. but the, yeah. but that was it. I haven't managed yeah. anything else. I think it's a bit hard when you're taking up with everything that's going on in a dream. I think it's quite hard to sort of get you to come back to a bit more consciousness to know what you're doing, really. Yeah. But it fascinate me to dreams. Yeah, it's fantastic. It is. Um, so what? Um, so what was the next step in your kind of journey to the paranormal, as it were? Um, I don't. I mean, I've, I've sort of with the dawn of the internet and and everything, I sort of got into Bigfoot and and then obviously joining BBR because I had um, my own cryptid experience in '93, and at that time there was no internet. I had not. I hadn't got a clue what I'd seen. I couldn't research yeah. it. I didn't even know what I was, what, if I'd walked into a library, I wouldn't have known what I was looking for. Yeah. Can you tell us um, about that yeah. experience? We'd been over the other side of York, um, a little place called Newton upon Derwent. One of my husband's friends lived there. So we'd been invited for dinner and some drinks. And I said, oh, well, I'll drive. I'm not bothered about a drink. I'll drive. So we, we set off the early hours of the morning to come back home. And York Road is a dual carriageway. And it runs basically from the coast right into leads and there was I was as I was driving along my husband was drunk so he'd gone to sleep and as I was driving along there was that there was like a low-lying fog it was really weird fog um sort of up to your knee height so it was yeah. blocking out all the road you couldn't see the road markings or anything so that I, just, I thought that was a bit odd I'd never driven through that before so I don't know if that's the thing or not but anyway um I'm driving along, listening to the radio, and then I started realising, I mean, to say it was early hours of Monday morning, there was, I, I didn't pass hardly a car, a lorry, nothing. The roads were just dead. Anyway, got about seven miles from Leeds and I started feeling a bit anxious to start with, I would say anxious. I didn't know why. Perfectly all right. There were no cars to bother about, nothing. He was still asleep. And then we dropped down from the zone. It was where we lived then. It was about two miles from home. Uh, this anxiety built up and built up till I was petrified, basically, and couldn't. I turned the radio off. I had the window down. I, didn't, I couldn't understand why this feeling was so strong. Yeah. Um, and then at, at Horsforth, there's, um, in Leeds, there's a roundabout and it drops down into the dip. And the dip's got... Um, the railway lines it's got the Leeds Liverpool Canal and it's got yeah. the River I, Air I know that area very well yeah. my best friend lives in Cookridge oh yeah I was I grew up near Cookridge oh really yeah um so these three thing, things run parallel and then you go over like a hump in the road and then you, you back up to the other roundabout and as I dropped down to the to the dip there's a, a bus stop cut out and I could see something stood there and I knew if I looked at it, I was going to die. And this thing was seven foot tall by about four foot wide. It was huge. And it was kind of covered in shaggy hair, I presume. 
And I thought, I can't look at it. I, could, I was looking at it out of my peripheral vision because I thought, if I look at it, I'm going to die. So I put my foot down on the accelerator and shot past it. And as I looked in the rearview mirror, it stepped off the curb and into the road where I'd just passed. Oof. And I'm like, but like I say, 1993, I, I didn't have a computer. I didn't have access. Well, I don't know if the internet was out then. I'm not sure. Anyway, no, I, I didn't have access to it anyway. And I was just, by the time I got home, I woke him up and he's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? I couldn't get the key in the door. I was shaking that much. And I told him what I'd seen and he's like, oh, it's probably somebody waiting for a bus. I went, not this time of morning. There's no buses running. And he went, oh, well, it could have been a tree. And I thought, well, it could, but what, trees don't step out into the road. Anyway, the next day, I had to, both my mum and dad were di long divorced, but they both lived in the same area. My dad in Cookridge and my mum in Tinsel. So I had to go up to see them both. And I thought, I'm going to check when I go past, because that's the only route that I could take, really. Yeah. Nothing. There was, there's like a, a concrete fence next to the bus stop, but it was holding all the bushes back. There was nothing that I could have mistaken for whatever it was that I saw. So I decided I wanted to write a book about the paranormal in Leeds. And I put a little, we had um, a little free newspaper called the Pudsey Times and yeah. one called Leeds Weekly News. So I had a little article in both of them um, asking for people to send the stories in. So I got, if I cherry picked them, there was there was a good handful of, of proper paranormal stories, but the majority was like UFO stuff, which at the time, even though I'd seen a UFO when I was a kid, I wasn't sufficiently interested in that. I wanted more of the ghosty kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I, I got home from work, one, on the way home from work one day, I called up at the newspaper offices and I picked up the, because I'd asked them to send the letters to them. So I picked up a massive bundle of letters and I made myself a cup of tea and I sat down and the first letter that I opened, my blood went cold. It was a young man who worked like the twilight shift at a, a local supermarket and he used to cycle down the hill past the end of my street and into our village. And he said that this particular night, he'd, he'd cycled past the end of our street and he got down towards the church and he saw two of the same figures that I described crouched in the road at Gosh. level with the church. And he said that he'd stopped his bike because he didn't go past them. He didn't know what they were. He stopped his bike and he said they were completely silent. There was no noise, nothing. And they both looked at him, stood up and went behind a row of shops. So, of course, I gets in the car, shot down the hill goes round the back of the shops and the, it was one way in and one way out and garages and a, top, a high wall. There was nothing for anywhere, anywhere for anything to have gone. Gosh. But I'm thinking, oh, my God, are they following me? You know, because obviously I'd seen that one and then this one was like 400 metres down the road from where I live. And did he describe it? He, he just said, because I'd given quite a good description in the paper. Yeah. So he, he just said they were exactly how you described, but there were two of them. And how, what did yours look like? Like a, just a shaggy shape. I couldn't make out any limbs. I couldn't make out any arms, but it clearly had legs because it moved. I didn't see any distinct legs. It was just a big shaggy shape. Yeah. And was that just, between, is, is it, have I got my picture in my head? Is it between the bottom roundabout when you got that really steep hill to the top roundabout? Is that where you're talking about? Yeah, when you come up from you come up from Rodley, as if you're going to Horsforth, yeah. it's quite high. Well, I was coming yeah. down. Wow, because it it's deep. I mean there is there are fields around there, aren't there? But it's still people live 
there yeah. around that there area. Is, there is a bit of, um, I suppose you'd call it a woodland rather than a forest, but it's really steep. Mm. And it will it runs down to the railway line, but they do bike scrambling on there. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I just... I still can't get my head around it. I don't. I don't know where it came from, what it was doing, why it was, why I had to see it. I just, I don't know. But this woodland's quite. It, it's not a. It's more like a dead woodland rather than bushy trees. The the bottoms of the trees are quite dead, so you can see through it right. really well. It's not dense. That's that's the only bit of woodland that's there that would hide anything, but yeah. still not enough cover. Wow. So I, I don't know. So you you wrote your pieces for the paper, and then um, what after you'd read this man's um, story? What yeah. happened after that? How did did you then write the book after? Or no, I didn't. I didn't actually get around to writing the book because, like oh, okay. I said, the material yeah. that I got was more. It was probably about 85%, percent UFO. Right. And although it was it was really interesting, and some people had gone to great lengths to do all these drawings and. I just, it wasn't the sort of book that I wanted to do. Yeah. I could have filled a book with all this, the UFO stuff that I got, but that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted paranormal leads. So yeah. unfortunately I didn't get around to doing it. Oh, and where did your journey take you after that then? Yeah, kind of um, paranormal, what happened next? Let me think. There's been quite, there's been so much stuff. It's it's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to do it without looking at, because I have written two books since then about everything. Um, It's really hard to sort of, think back I'd have to get one of my books out <laughs> okay that's fine I know so when when did you start being aware that there were paranormal groups online and how did you start being involved with those I think that was obviously due to Facebook I joined loads of groups on Facebook and um I've always kind of kept my eye out on local ghost hunts and what have you but they're so overpriced it's like yeah you know uh, I've done the odd, We'd, we set up, me and my friend um, had a little paranormal investigation group. Um, there were four of us and we set up like uh, ghost hunts. So we did Temple Newsom in Leeds. Um, we did the grounds of Temple Newsom one night and we got some stunning footage, which got recorded over strangely, but uh, oh. there was a, a an Elizabethan man stood at the end of the hedge when we reviewed the footage because... Two of us had night vision video recorders and the other two were using digital cameras with the flashes. Yeah. So every yeah. time the flash went up, it lit up everything. And we, were, we got back to theirs and we were we put it through the telly. And I went, oh, well, well, go back. And it showed you there was there was orbs all over. And there weren't, it wasn't dust or moisture, it was quite a dry night. But there were orbs everywhere. And just as the camera flashed, at the end of the hedge was a bloke stood in like a high rough shirt. Wow. You know, with the frill around his neck. Yeah. And then he had what looked like a leather waistcoat on and kind of shortish trousers that, that had a cuff around them and right. then socks and boots. and But it was just stood there observing us at the end of the fence. Now, that would have been fantastic footage. But like I say, when I inquired about it, because I wanted a copy of it, it had been recorded over. So lost. Why would you do that? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And we did... um. An investigation down at um, the pub near us. There's a pub called the Abbey Inn, and it's known for. It's been there a long, long time. And back in the olden days, they used to use it as a mortuary, the pool room. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, because it runs right next to the canal. And anybody that had lost their life in the canal through whatever circumstances was taken to the pub and laid out in the pool room until the, the whoever had come to take the body away. So we got in touch, not thinking at all that we'd get anywhere, but we got in touch and said, we're a small group. Um, we'd like to do an investigation. Is there any possibility? Anyway, the landlord rang me and he said, not a problem. If you come at 11 when we're shutting, you can spend as long as you want. You know, I'll give you the keys. Just put them back through the door when you've done. I'll be upstairs. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to know what's lurking around. Um, but the pub's yours, basically. Fantastic. Um, which was it was really good. I mean, we spent a good four hours. I think we left there something like three o'clock in the morning. Um, didn't get, we did a little bit of Ouija board, but we didn't get a lot of information. But the, the place itself, when when the outside lights go off, they're on a timer. It's You can't see hand in front of you in the pub pitch black and again we were using like digital cameras and video recorders and as i have got the tape i just can't get it onto a computer as i'm panning around where the front door is there's like um, a window with one of those glass bullets in the middle glass bullet things and there's a face looking through the window like a goblin type no. face but like i say i've got the tiny little tape for the video recorder but i can't get it in onto the computer Otherwise, I'd be sharing the hell out of that because <laughs> oh, it scared wow. us to death when we saw that. I bet didn't it even, did. Didn't even know it was there. But yeah, and it couldn't. There were some umbrellas. It was a tiny little vestibule between the main door and the inner door, just enough for a door to open. And he'd stacked the umbrellas in there, but you could clearly see the umbrellas. It was not the umbrellas. It was some hideous looking face. But yeah, once I, once I find out how to get it off that tape and onto my computer, then we're away oh yeah i'd love to see yeah. it did he say that there'd been much activity in the pub um the odd things moving um and they had a, a pub cat i don't know where the pub cat was because at, at first it was laid on one of the bench seats but then it disappeared halfway through the night but apparently that stopped and stared at things that weren't there and yeah oh my but goodness the, i think over the years there's been quite a few bits of activity glasses smashing and bottles smashing and things yeah I think it is quite active but that was the only real thing we got oh, I did um I got an old key and I put it because there was a lot of activity in the ladies toilets so I got an old key and the window in there was um sealed up there was no way of opening the window it was one of those that didn't have a thing on it and I put a key on the on the window ledge and I've covered it in talc and when I went back in it had moved by a couple of millimeters Oh, wow. I did ask for it, you know, if anything was about, if they could move the key for me. And obviously they did, but it was only a couple of millimetres, but there was no draft and the key was would have been too heavy to blow anyway, so. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good evidence, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And so how long did you do your paranormal group for? Um, I'd say a good year, because we'd started going all... That's how we, me and my friend met this couple. Um, we'd started going to, like, another spiritual awareness type group. Um, and then the building that that was in that had been put up for sale, so they couldn't do that anymore. So it moved to the one of the medium who ran it. It moved to her house then. Um, but we also, because we realised we lived near each other as well, we said, why don't we go out and do our own thing? Yeah. And Darren, Darren, um, one half of the other couple, worked at um, 
it was like it's it's still there actually it's been there years but it's a washer and fridge repair place they like recondition it and it's a, it's a big old factory and he told us that there'd been quite a lot happening in there so he said i'm the key holder we can go and investigate if you want so we're like armed ourselves up with everything emf meters and we went in um and it's kind of like a, a really small staircase up to the left and then a massive long corridor with doors off it and then at the bottom there's the other staircase that comes down and we've done a couple of circuits up and down and got a few bits on the recordings and stuff of like footsteps that weren't ours and and we stood at the bottom of the far staircase deciding whether we're going to go back up again and round the other way and we could hear a man whistling upstairs and it was like and Darren said I've this happens all the time. There's a fire door upstairs that used to be one of the doors into the building and it bangs on a morning because he was the first one in, in the workshop in the morning. And he said he'd come in, let himself in and he'd be walking along the corridor and he'd hear the door upstairs bang, footsteps and whistling. So we, we got the whistling. And then we contacted the spirit of a lady that said she was called Kitty and she was... Um, an usherette in the cinema back in the early 1900s or whatever, when, when cinema first started, I think. And she used to go around selling the ice creams and she actually married the projectionist. <laughs> but we got all the names. The only thing was we couldn't find any trace of it ever being a cinema. So yeah. whether it was the ground that the building was built on or I don't know, but she was adamant that's, that's who she was. But yeah. Gosh, that's interesting. And the man who banged the door, it, it just must have been somebody coming to work, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. It must have been somebody that just doing his his usual morning routine. Yeah. But I think I think when we heard him whistling upstairs, we decided not to do another circuit. We, <laughs> we decided to go home because it was getting a bit late then and it gets a bit spookier as it gets darker and later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't you tell me about some of your groups that you're part of yeah. um, on, on um, the Facebook groups and your research with um, Other Deb as yes, well, Other Deb Deb. And, um, yeah. and all about the, the Dogman um, Facebook group and those sorts of things. I'd love to hear about those. Yeah. Um, well, I started, I got in contact with Deborah when I found out that she was kind of like the Bigfoot lady of the UK um, and told her my story of the thing that I'd seen in 93. And it sort of took off from there. We became friends. And then she asked me if I'd go on a, a live stream. So I said, yeah. And then she asked if I'd, I'd like to be like co-host. So I said, yeah, definitely. Um, so I've been to a few meets and things. I've obviously been over to see him. I've been up Winter Hill and done all that and then we decided um, because of all the activity that goes on at Bempton at near Bridlington Paul Sinclair's area um, we decided we'd like to go and, and do a bit of an investigation there so the 11th of March we all set off and met up at uh, Caravan Park we'd booked it we booked a caravan for the weekend um, we did on the Friday that's quite interesting the Friday night we decided to do Dane's Dyke. Now, Dane's Dykes, it's, there've been, I can't even, more than a handful of reports of dogman in the area. Um, from people describing werewolves crouching at the side of the road and then running across and all sorts of stuff. And Dane's Dyke is just, it's heavy woodland. And then it, 
it runs into a car park with a cafe, you go downhill. And then from there, there's a, a path that goes down to the beach, quite a long, steep path. And then there's a path up into where there's another like overflow car park, but that's quite wooded. Anyway, when going back to when I went over to see Paul Sinclair in 2018, he took me out um, to show me various places. And we got chatting and I said, you know, I've never been to Dane. He mentioned Dane's Dyke and I said, I've never been to Dane's Dyke. I've passed it hundreds of times. Never actually turned down and gone in. He went, I'll take you. As soon as we turn down and you go over the first speed bump, the feeling is the weirdest feeling ever. It's kind of like oppressive and just, it makes all you, you, it just makes you tingle all over. It's just, there's so much energy there for some reason. And I said to him, as we went over the first speed bump, I said, I don't like it here. He went, a lot of people say that. I said, I don't like the atmosphere. It's got a weird atmosphere. Anyway, coming back to going to, on the BBR uh, holiday, we decided Friday night, we got all our stuff in the caravan, went and got something to eat, and we said, right, we'll go down Stains Dyke. So, of course, by this time, it's pitch black. And me and Lee Roscoe were in one car, and the others were in front. And as we, we turned down to go down, apparently in the front car, they all got that feeling, and they said, I wonder if they felt it behind us. Anyways, we got down to the bottom and we all got together. It was like, yeah, we all felt that, that weird energy. Wow. So they all, the, we were deciding what to do. And I said, I know you're not going to like it, but I want to stay here on my own. And they're like, no, you can't stay on your own. I said, no, honestly, biggish car park, cafe building. I know that you're not far away. I want, I, I got this need to stay here on my own. Anyway, we ummed and ahed, and then I said, just go, leave me on my own. I've got my torch. I'll scream if I have to. I'll be fine. Anyway, I stood next to the car, and I heard several several things. I heard footsteps, and when I turned around with the torch, there was nothing there. Then there's kind of like, it drops down onto a grassy area, and then there's all trees surrounding it. I heard something heavy, like, like if somebody, a man, a heavy man had jumped out of a tree and hit the ground that's yeah. what I heard spun round couldn't see anything the trees weren't moving this weekend was the windiest weekend I've ever known but down in Dane's Dyke there wasn't a breath of air it was completely still really so I'm kind of like it's I'm trying not to get myself spooked and I'm, I'm listening to all these noises and then the gang came back from they'd been down the hill and as they came back up they shouted you okay Deb yeah yeah I'm fine so they went the other way so in between these times, I didn't, I couldn't even see or hear them. So as I'm stood there, I suddenly started to feel really sick. And I mean, from nowhere, from a standing start, I, I wanted to throw up. And I thought, what the hell? So I leant against the car to sort of like steady myself. And it felt like a bolt ran at the other side of the car and hit it once. It was enough. The force was enough to throw me off the car. And I thought it was Mick messing about because he's always messing about and trying to catch me out. But they hadn't come back. They were still wherever they were. I was in that car park on my own. <gasps> and I stood there and I thought, what the hell do I do now? And then thankfully I could see the torches sweeping about and I could hear them talking and, and they came back. But that, that sickness went as soon as that, whatever that was, hit the car and hit me off the car, that sickness just disappeared. But every wow. time we passed, we went back to Dane's Dyke during the day and we actually walked right down to the beach and whatever. Um, 
and it's a t during the day it's a totally different atmosphere you wouldn't believe the difference but every time we because you had to drive past the entrance to Dane's Dyke to get to other places we were going and every time we passed it all of us got this instant headache and felt sick as we passed and then it went off again so there's Gosh. something there's something, something in there. that area yeah, yeah. Definitely. And it's like it was trying to frighten you away, wasn't it? Like it was trying yeah. to scare you away. Either that or let me know it was there. I don't know. But the force, like I say, it was like a, a massive bull hitting the other side of the car. There was no noise. It was just the car shoved and, and hard enough to throw me off. Yeah. And, of course, I spun round really quick with my torch, but there's absolutely nothing there. I even went round the other side of the car to see if somebody was crouching down, but there was nothing. Very that's strange place. That's terrifying. Yeah. You're braver than me. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually glad that I did. I, I don't know whether I had an inkling that something was going to happen or I just I just felt I needed to be there on my own to see what was what. And But, yeah, it's, it's a very strange place. Oh, I'd love to go there. It's funny, isn't it? When you were a kid, you go to all these places. Like, we went to yeah. Bridlington all the time. Yeah. Absolutely no idea that there was anything like that there. No. No, like I said, there have been reports of, I mean, I would, I suppose if I saw one, I'd describe it as a werewolf, because that's that's the only thing that you can reference it to from films and things, but there's been a lot of reports of where, what you would call werewolves around that area. Yeah. And, and especially up at um, Bempton Cliffs as well. Really? Yeah, um, Paul Sinclair took a report. I heard it actually before it went out, um, because it, it came in at the time that, I'd gone over to see Paul and he played it for me. Um, an ex-para had been up there, six-foot-odd bloke, not scared of anything. And they'd been up at Bempton and they decided that they were going because the, the atmosphere didn't feel quite right. And he walked through um, what was an old gateway and as he turned round, he was face-to-face -face with it. Well, not face-to-face, -face, but looking up at an eight-foot werewolf, mm. what he described as a werewolf. But as he was talking and relaying the story, you could hear his voice shaking. It was it was traumatized by it yeah but so, a lot of, a lot of people say it's to do with um the old RAF base up there that they used to do um satanic rituals and things all the base underneath now is is blocked off you can't get in at all um it's all concreted in I think yeah so, so it's been you, a lot of stuff do you think that it's hard to know, isn't it? Do you think that these creatures are ones that can come into our reality and go out? Because it, even more than Bigfoot, to me, mm. it seems like I don't think that there are werewolves hiding in the woods. No. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. they, they manifest in a physicality yes. and then go wherever it is that they go after. I mean, I... I've always thought that they can do that. They can step through somehow and become physical in our world. Um, so I, I've always thought they were interdimensional, but I've told that, that I've been told, sorry, or corrected, that that can't possibly be. Science wouldn't allow and like interdimensions. You can't do that with dimensions, apparently. So I don't know. I'm, my opinion on it changes every every two minutes. To be fair, because yeah, it, it's such a a weird phenomena. Yeah, it's so hard to get your head round and and try and figure out how on earth they can exist. And I mean, there's the there's the story of the couple at Barmston Drain, which is sort of in the same kind of vicinity. Yeah, um, where an eight foot werewolf suddenly appeared with a dead Alsatian in its mouth and and jumped across 
the whatever it is the drain and then over a, a dune or something and disappeared now how, how could do you know what i mean that's got to be something physical that's existing yeah. but how it gets here i've no idea no, somebody suggested ufos well, everybody's got an opinion, haven't they? And, yeah. and they seem to get more and more kind of... Uh, Bizarre. Yeah, the, tall, the tails are taller and taller. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they but, are, yeah. But it does mess your mind up when you start trying to figure out what it might be. Yeah, it does. It, it just boggles your mind. because Yeah, because I've gone down the route of are they genetically engineered by the military? or It's, just, it's clutching at straws because I don't think we'll ever know. But the yeah. amount of people that are seeing them, there's obviously something going on somewhere. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. And um, and also the thing is that science, it always, it always makes me kind of smile wryly to myself when somebody who knows all about science tells you that something is not possible. Yeah. Because you think, well, look back a hundred years yeah um everybody thought that all these things that we're doing now weren't possible and exactly. that science didn't allow for it and yet they've been not proved wrong but the thing is i think surely as a scientist you should be really open-minded to yeah. all the possibilities yeah because you know that we're only humans we're only you know ants on an anthill yeah uh, uh, I mean, what do we know, really, in terms of our evolution? We, you know, we may have just started. Exactly. You know, yeah. We may know absolutely nothing, but yet humans are so egotistical. Yeah, that that's they, what it is, isn't it? They have a little bit of knowledge and they think they know everything and say, oh, yeah. no, 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 that couldn't possibly be possible. Be. Yeah, and you just think, well, who's the bigger fool, you or me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the amount of times that scientists have been proved wrong is un unbelievable as well. Yeah. You know, they've got to change the, the theories that they've held for the last 50 years and say, oh, well, that does appear to be able to happen. So Yeah, and nobody believed that there were dimensions, and now scientists are saying that they've discovered at least, yeah. I don't know how many, 10 dimensions. 11, so, I think it is, yeah. yeah. So who's to say that things can't travel between them? Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. And what about all the ghosts that... Um, that manifest physically where people have actually touched them and had interactions and yeah. held their hands and been pushed and exactly yeah how do you explain that yeah they're not just see-through see-through shapes are they sometimes no. yeah it's it's a it's a big rabbit hole <laughs> it is it really is so after that weekend your first bbr weekend did you discover anything else that weekend or have any other strange experiences um, funnily enough, we'd thought there was eight, eight, seven of us all together, and one of them, one of the group, went home um, a night early. So on the Sunday, I think it was the Sunday we'd gone down to Dane's Dyke, and another another four people came to join us. And then on the Sunday night, four of us girls were absolutely shattered. We'd had enough going out investigating because we'd been out all the time since we got there. Um, so on the Sunday night four of us decided to stay back at the caravan. So Lee and Mick from um, the Winter Hill investigation team decided they were going to go up to Bempton. And Natalia and Peter that came, came over to Stopping Brid um, went with them. So there was just those four up on the cliffs. We stopped back at the caravan. Me and Deb went out for a smoke and we stood on the steps of the caravan and Lee's car screeched to a halt at the end and he went, 
we've seen them, we've seen them, we've seen two of them, and the, the faces were ash-coloured. I've never seen anybody look that colour. And we're like, right, we'll get the kettle on and get the recorder started, park up, you know, and come in. Anyway, they'd been filming up at Bempton Cliffs and they'd seen two lots of green eye shine up on a, it's like um, a smallish ridge mound, but there's a lot of like goose grass and stuff between. It's really hard going, walking. You just end up on your face all the time. Yeah. Um. So they'd been looking at these eyes and one set of eyes started to move towards them. Now, somebody said that it was deer. Well, in from what I know of deer, as soon as deer spot you, they're off. They don't come towards you. Yeah. Anyway, they'd captured all this fantastic stuff on film. And they'd also got um, a figure walk striding along. Mick, Mick's done it in all different colours to show it, to show how it looks. But it's definitely an upright figure, whatever it is, is walking along. Um, so, of course, they came back and they were both... Um, Lee was just babbling. Mick, Mick's voice changed. His voice, he didn't even sound like him. It was, it was such, the energy was like amazing in that caravan. So we got it all, all recorded. And me and Deb put the kettle back on and we went up this, we'd, we must've listened to him for an hour and a quarter, just telling us what, from start to finish what had happened. And they were actually tracked back to the car park as well. I mean, I don't know if, if anybody, any of your listeners have ever been to Benton. It was the first time I'd properly been. And it's kind of, you come past the, the RSPB building and then you hit, like, you go down the side of the building and then it opens up onto kind of moorland. Okay. And the, and down across to the cliffs where there's a couple of viewing platforms. But it's, it's just like dark moorland with a path running through the middle. Um, no natural light or anything. No, I'm sorry, no... Um, like lighting or anything, it's just, you're just yeah. going by the light of the sky, basically. Um, but they were followed back to the car park by, by whatever these eyes were belonged to. Um, anyway, me and Deb went out, and as as I as we stood, I'm looking into the into the park where the densest amount of caravans was, and she was looking past me. And just as I said to her, "There's something stood there looking at us," she saw something flash across between two caravans opposite and the energy completely changed and I said I don't want to be out here anymore come on let's go in so we, we came in and locked up for the night because it was you could feel it prickling your skin wow. and I, I said I didn't know whether it was something that had followed them back to observe what we were about and who we were and whether we were you know some sort of I don't know government agency or I don't I don't know but there was definitely whatever it was had followed them back Gosh, and did, did anything happen? Did anything try and kind of... No, no, we never heard anything. No. I think they'd satisfied themselves that we weren't, you know, we weren't hunting them or whatever. Because, I mean, Lee's, Lee's got one of these 5,000 lumen torch things and it just lights up everything. Yeah. So I presume whatever was looking back at them, because the light was so bright, they didn't know who was behind the light. Yeah. So I'm assuming, but it was just strange that we both said at the same time what we'd seen. I could definitely see a tall, big, tall figure stood at the corner of this caravan. But obviously when it's night and the caravan park's not that brightly lit and a lot of the caravans around us weren't occupied anyway because obviously it was it hadn't even started to come into the season yet, which is why we got it so cheap. Yeah. Um, 
so it was very poor lighting, but I could definitely see it. And then when I looked out a bit later on, there was nothing stood there. So I hadn't imagined it. There was something stood there. Yeah. But yeah, Ooh. Ooh. it was all going on that weekend. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, so have you got any other tales that you'd like to tell us? I, I know you did mention, actually, that you had a UFO story from when you were small. I, yes, I did. And I've got... a. I wrote it in the book. It was uh, Deb came over to see me. That would have been probably 2018. Um, there was Deb and Mark and obviously Mick and Carol Ann. And then we went up to Esholt Woods to have a wander around because there'd been a report of a dog man there. So we, Deb got, we got talking about all my experiences from being a kid and she went, you need to write them all down. And I said, yeah, I suppose I do. I ain't really thought about it. So she went, get them written down anyway when I wrote them down one after that sort of like made notes of all the ones that I could remember and then I slotted the other ones in between and I thought god I've had a lot there's been a lot going on in my life since I was a kid so we got chatting again about it and she went write a book and I went who's going to want to read that you know it's like my all my own stuff she went of course people will read it they love stuff like that so I wrote the first book and of course I did it by Kindle publishing it's only available on Kindle. Uh, and then other things were coming into my mind and I thought, oh God, I forgot to write about that. And I forgot, so I had enough for a second book then. And now with all everything that's gone on since my second book, it's like I'm building up to being able to do a third one. Um, but the UFO, I was, it was 1976, I was seven. And me and my best friend were in the school field. Now, it must have been summer because you were only allowed on the school field in the summer months. So we were playing and I, re I remember hearing this noise and I said to her, what's that? And she went, I don't know. And it was like a deep droning, humming noise, but, but continual, but it was getting louder. So anyway, we carried on playing and I just remember looking up and I'd put 100 or so feet in the air, it wasn't, it was much lower. Me and my friend were working out heights the other weekend and we were reckoning that her house is like 40 foot high. And I'm saying that this thing was probably about 50 foot above us gotcha. and it was vast. It was a big disc and it was covered in tiny little mirror mosaic tiles. And it was gliding probably two miles an hour, but making this deafening noise and we were like, you know, when you sort of scrunch up because it's so loud. Mm -hmm. And we were looking up at it and the only thing, it had symbols <coughs> underneath. But the only thing that I can remember was like a trident shape symbol with a tick on the bottom, like a tail ticked off it. That's the only thing I can remember. There were other things in a line, but that's the only one that I can remember. And we were looking at this and passing over and I looked round and in... We were the only two people in the diameter that this thing was causing. All the other kids were playing in the field around us. There was just me and my mate stood staring up at this thing, passing over. Nobody else had noticed it. So anyway, of course, I was really excited when my mum picked me up from school. I, like I said, I was seven and I was telling her all about it. And all the way home, I was chattering about it. So she actually, my mum always believed anything I said. She just, she just knew that I was telling the truth. So at that time, obviously, there was only like BBC One and Two and ITV. So she rang, she rang the BBC, she rang ITV, and she also rang 
Leeds Bradford Airport to see if they've got anything like a show going on or nobody knew anything about it. And it didn't take off fast. As you looked past our school, there was a water tower surrounded by trees and it passed over the top of that and just glided out of sight. It didn't speed up or kept the same pace. And it was vast, absolutely huge. I'm I'm sort of, I can't remember seeing it from the side, but it would have looked sausage shaped from the side, you know, rounded. Yeah. But above us, it was just this huge mirrored disc, like a disco ball, but squashed into a saucer shape. That's absolutely mental, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and the fact that the other children couldn't see it. So it was almost like it was cloaked from them. Yeah. But you and your friend were allowed to see it. Yeah. And it's funny because um, we contacted each other when Friends Reunited was on the go. And then when that was coming to a close, we, we moved to Facebook. So we've been in contact and I said to her, we'll have to meet up for a drink. Anyway, we did. And I said, we sat down and I said to her, do you remember? And she went, that UFO at school. And then she knew it. She remembered it exactly as I'd remembered it. Isn't it amazing just, when that happens? Because yeah. yeah, I, um, I had my first experience with school friends um, yeah. and I've been on Facebook in the last year um, and said, do you remember when? And they went, yes, yeah. I remember. And then they, we've, there's three of us that remember it and we've talked yeah. about it. And it's it's almost um, just that validation. Valid, yeah, the validation yeah. of going, I'm not mad. It's not yeah. something I dreamt when I was eight. It exactly, did yeah. happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, yeah, it is, it's good. But she wow. remembered it just like I'd remembered it. And I thought, God, all those years ago, and it's still stuck in both our minds. Yeah. It was just um, the size of it. It was enormous. How nobody else saw that, I've no idea. Yeah, well, do you know what? It's really interesting that you mentioned that because um, when I did my teaching course, my PGCE in, I think it was 2004, I did it. Yeah. Um, and I did it at a really obscure um little sort of college in London called the Urban Learning Foundation right and um there were about 30 of us on the course and there was this guy called John and he was quite eccentric and uh I don't think he went on to be a teacher he just wasn't really teacher type material but right. um one day he'd mentioned to me that he'd seen a UFO Um, And everybody sort of thought he was a bit odd. And um, I've been trying to find find out who he is for the past two or three years. Can't remember his surname for the life in me. Um, And neither can anybody else that I'm in touch with off that course. So, John, if you're listening, please get in touch with me. (laughs) Um, So I went for a cup of tea at his flat one day um, and I said, oh, you know, I'm really interested in all this sort of stuff tell me about your experiences so he told me that he'd seen um, UFOs in London multiple times yeah he'd seen cigar shaped ones disc shaped ones um, and his theory was and at the time bearing in mind I hadn't read anything about UFOs at the time yeah I was just interested in ghosts that's as far as it went really yeah um, so I actually thought oh he's a bit I think he's a bit mad <laughs> I actually thought that I thought yeah. oh and we actually kind of called him no disrespect John but we kind of called him mad John um, yeah. <laughs> so, 
but oh, now, um, so it, yeah, he was talking about this, and he says, "But do you know what, Michaela?" He said, "You can only see them if you let if they let you." Mm. And I sort of said, well, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, I can be walking down a street in London, and be, the street can be full of people, and only yeah. I'll see them, yeah, and they'll fly past, and I go, oh, there's another one." Yeah. Um, and nobody else will see it. And at the time I was thinking, oh, this all seems a bit, I, I think I'm a bit worried about you here, sort of thing. Yeah, a bit Twilight Zone. Yeah. But now having, I'm not saying that it's not an incredible story. And I'm not saying that I believe him because it's hard to believe somebody when you haven't had that experience yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I completely respect that he believes that he sees them and saw them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've read all these things, I sort of think, I really want to talk to John now yeah. because I want to see, like you said, it's almost like they allow you to see them. Yeah. Yeah. I've but heard that so many times. So fascinating. It is. Yeah. I had one at um, the beginning of the year. We were out on the back on the motorbike. Obviously, I was on the back of the motorbike, and we were coming out of um, away from York. And I, I looked up and I thought, "Oh, there's a plane!" And because obviously on the back of the bike, there's not a lot to do. I'm always looking at stuff. So I'm look, I'm looking at this plane, and I thought that plane hasn't got any wings. And it was the sky was blue, there wasn't a cloud in sight, and the sun was out, and it was reflecting onto it, and it was like a silver and white, but. Just like all I could see was the fuselage of a, a big jumbo jet. So I'm watching it, I thought, maybe it's because, because of the angle that it's at, I can't see the wings. So when it banks or it turns, I'll be able to see the wings. Anyway, this thing did turn and there were still no wings. And I'm like, my mouth was hung open and I'm watching it. And it kind of, it pixelated so that squares of it disappeared and looked like the sky. So you could, but in different areas on the, on the fuselage thing. And I'm like, that's partly disappeared. And then it came back again and it was solid. And then it pixelated out, but it pixelated fully then. It sort of did it partly like it was when I first saw it do it. And then the rest of it all went out and it had gone. Wow. Just, but it was so, it was big. It was plain size. But I, I was looking around to see if anybody that was walking about was looking at it or, but maybe they just glanced at it, assumed it was a plane and, but I had more time to look. You see, I couldn't have told my husband because obviously he was navigating the traffic and stuff. Yeah. So I couldn't have said, look at that up there because he couldn't have done that. So I just yeah. had to kind of stare at it until I'd worked out what it was and then realised it wasn't actually a plane, but I wasn't quite, quite sure what it was. And yeah. somebody said it was like the Tic Tac. sounded like oh, the Tic Tac yeah. UFO. Yeah, yeah. So, do you, do you find that the more that you read about this sort of stuff, um, as in any paranormal stuff, it's almost yeah. like the more happens to you. I don't know. I haven't actually thought about that. Or is it just that we notice things more, do you think? Because I'll yeah. tell you, I'm going to tell you this really odd occurrence that happened to me. Hmm. Um, and I'm inclined to think it was me and my brain, but right. it does make you think. So one day I was coming home from work. I only work up the road. Yeah. And um, I was driving home and I was nearly at my house and I've got this habit now of I really want to see a UFO. So I'm always <laughs> looking at the sky. Yeah. And I've never seen one. I'm always like, come on, come on. Yeah. Show yourself. All these people seeing them and I've not seen yeah. them. Um, so I was like looking up at the sky um, 
And there were some of those kind of white fluffy clouds. I call them Simpsons clouds, like on the, on yeah. the Simpsons. Yeah. And <laughs> this, that was so bizarre. The sky glitched. Right. And I don't believe in any of this kind of, we're living in a matrix kind of thing, I'm no. afraid. But for all the world, the sky glitched. And I thought either I'm having some sort of <coughs> migraine or, a, you know, a TIA or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, or the sky just glitched. And it was literally just a like a, you know, a fraction of a second. Yeah. But I saw it. And then I was like, oh, my God, I'm losing the plot now. <laughs> the whole sky just glitched. What's going on? That's weird. Yeah. So, but I've done what you do now, um, but I have just, I've got a list on my phone now and I tried to remember every experience I've ever had and I'm sure yeah. that I've missed a load out, but I just have one line about, about every single thing. And every yeah. time something weird happens, I just write a line on my phone. I've got quite a long list now. It's quite go. amazing when you look back into it. Get yourself a book published. <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think I've it got was, that many. <laughs> it wasn't. Well, I didn't think I had. I mean, the, the first book's only something like forty-nine pages, but every single one's something that's happened to me. And then the second one's probably a few more pages. But like I say, with everything that's that's gone on since I published book two, it's I'm getting another list together now, and I'm thinking, oh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna get book three out of this. That's fantastic. Yeah. One thing that I always used to want to do is um, I always used to want to write a book of other people's experiences. Yes. Um, and every time I, I meet anybody, um, friends at work, anybody, I'll go, oh, have you had any, you know, have you seen a ghost? Yeah. Have you had any weird well, experiences? That was my plan for the Paranormal Leads book was to get people's experiences. I mean, I, w I went to see one lady and by the time I got my dictaphone running and by the time she'd finished telling me all the other stuff, we never even got around to the ghost story. <laughs> it was just bizarre, but yeah. Um, I always find that, um, like even with the podcast, um, it's really hard to get people that you don't know to send you stories Yeah. or yeah. write in, no matter how hard, sorry, easy you make it. Yeah. Um, you know, please send me a voicemail of your experience. And it's yeah. there's so few and far between. And I, um, I I mean, I don't know if it's because we're a smaller country or people don't like to talk about it here. But no, um, I think yeah. it's fear of ridicule a lot of it as well. I mean, I'm at one time I would never have told anybody half the stuff that happened to me. And I thought as I've got older, I thought, well, why not? It's happened to me, you know. What am I bothered about? If people don't believe me, then they don't believe me. But this is my story and this is what happened. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. I think that kind of falls away a bit as you get older. Yeah. So if anybody does want to send a story in to me, I'm quite happy not even to use your name. Just yeah. please send me the story. Yeah. <laughs> she wants to know. I do want to know. I find it fascinating. <laughs> it so is. Have you got any other stories that you could tell me? Um, well, I know you've got loads for at least. What was that? You must be on 150 pages with now. <laughs> Possibly, yeah, I think so. Um, I have had a, a couple of, I had a weird, the week before I went to see Paul Sinclair in Brid, me and my friend used to go over to Flamborough Head quite a lot because there's a lovely cafe there. Mm. And we're going to we'd go and have lunch and sit and look at the sea. And anyway, I'd said to her, I'd read a couple of Paul's Truth Proof books and I said, 
I need to get a bit of an image of where he's talking about because it's he's sort of you build it up in your head from what you've read, but it's never the same when you go look at the places. Yeah. So I said, we're passing Bempton. So if we we just drive up to the bird reserve and round the car park and back out, I'll get a bit of an idea. Anyway, I she was driving and um we went up to the bird reserve, turned around in the car park, came back out. And as we're coming down Cliff Lane, which is one of the main places that all these weird things happen, I, I could have sworn 100% that there was a school on the right-hand side over the hedge. And at the left-hand side, there was a, a, a line of trees behind which is um, like a chalet park, holiday place. Yeah. As we're driving along, I saw something coming up from behind the hedge. And my first thought was, it's a balloon, like um, one of these birthday balloons the figure yeah. I thought it was one of those and as it came up my friend was she always concentrated on the road you could never get her to look at anything you could say look at that unicorn over there and she'd be staring straight ahead and going yeah <laughs> so she'd never look at anything and I'm looking at it and I'm going what the hell is that and it looked like a ball of tumbleweed I'd just come up from behind the hedge and started going over the road above in front of us I'm going, what is that? And then it turned sideways and it was like somebody had got a load of sticks and weaved them all together and made a donut out of them with a hole in the middle. And there was nothing trailing off it. It wasn't a drone. It was a bundle of sticks that had been all woven together. And I'm watching it and I'm saying, what the hell is that? And it got to the trees and it must have been six inches away from the front of the trees and it it traveled up the front of the trees and then over the top and gone and i'm like i don't believe what i've just witnessed there was no way that that was a balloon oh my goodness what what i saw it as was this like i say tumble ball of tumbleweed that suddenly turned and ended up in this donut shaped bundle of sticks all woven together that's terrifying that's a bit blair witch isn't it it's a little bit so when 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 I went over to see Paul the following week, I told him about this, and he said, "I'll take you up Cliff Lane anyway, and you can show me where it happened." And as we stood there, I said to him, "Paul, I would swear that there was like a primary school. There was nothing behind this hedge at all, but I, in my mind, there was a building there, like a primary school, and there was nothing. It was just a field." So I'd obviously showed him, but by that time they'd cut all the hedges and all the, like the grasses had dried out. And he said, you know, even if I did like a video of you talking about it, he said that it would look like somebody would say, oh, well, there's all dried grass there, which there wasn't at the time. It was green and ready for cutting. Yeah. He said they'd say, oh, it's bits of edge matter that had been blown up by a, a whirlwind or something. So we never got that on video, but yeah, that's what I saw. No explanation for it, but that's what I saw. Wow. And the same out here, just as lockdown was happening. Um, my friend came to stay for a couple of days and a, a daughter and a girlfriend were coming over with a new puppy. So we're all sat out in the back garden and I saw this something in the sky and I'm watching it and I went, that looks like a balloon. But again, I thought it was a knot off a birthday balloon. Yeah. So I'm watching it and I thought, oh, I'm not letting this opportunity go. So I came in and got the binoculars and I'm staring at it and it looked like a black life ring, you know, that you'd have at the side of a river to save oh, yeah. something. But it was travelling sideways so you could see the hole 
Then it turned sideways so you could see its eye on. Then it flopped down so it was horizontal and then back up again so you could see the ring. And it was doing this sequence of movements just one after the other as it flew along really slow. We all had a look at it through the binoculars and not one of us knew what it was. We were all, and it was staying in the same line. It wasn't blowing about. So we've got some trees at the back. And I thought, I can track it in my mind as to where it's going to come out. And when it came out, it was, because the sun was on it by that point, it was like an ox blood red colour, this circle. And it had three, what you'd call beige bands round it in thirds. And I'm like, we all had another look and we still couldn't tell you what it was. And it just obviously disappeared off out of sight. Oh my just, goodness. But I mean, that's something that's obviously not control, wasn't being controlled by anything. There were no wires or aerials sticking off it. It was, it was like a life ring, but a different colour. And it just went in one straight line because when I was tracking it, I was imagining it where it was through the trees. And when it came out, it was exactly where I predicted it was going to come yeah. out. So it had done a straight line. But bizarre. But how, how can that be? I know it's a, what do they call them now? Is it UAPs? Oh, yeah. Unknown aerial phenomena. It was obviously something like that rather than a UFO. Yeah. But I've no idea how it was controlled or no, no clue. Wow. <laughs> the bizarrest things happen to me. <laughs> these stories are great <laughs> no but weird i know but oh gosh fascinating it really makes you think doesn't it it does and then of course i've got involved now with codes of the unknown doing live streams every and interviews every friday night that sort of transpired because andy that runs it he um asked me if i'd like to come on we'd been on a a live stream together with deborah and he said um, can I interview you? So we did a podcast interview and then he said, would you come on a live stream? And I said, yeah, fine. So then we did that. And then it's sort of come to be that now I'm kind of his right hand woman and we're booking people for interviews from America and Australia and anybody yeah. that pops up on Facebook that looks remotely interesting or we just fire off a message. Would you like to come on our live stream? And we're yeah. basically we're booked up till the end of the year now. Wow, and tell us a bit about, for the listeners, what, what is Codes of the Unknown? It's basically, it's a group that's, we've got two groups now. We've got the Codes of the Unknown into the rabbit hole, and then we've got the other one for cryptids and alien life forms. Um, basically, we, we find people to interview uh, about anything strange. We don't like to call it paranormal. We, don't re we haven't really got a term for it, but the unknown, yeah. anything to do with the unknown, um, We've had people on like, well, we've had Paul Sinclair on, we've had Earl Grey, he's um, part of MUFON in America. Yeah. We've had loads and loads of brilliant guests. Uh, this week we've got, on Friday at eight, we've got Philip Mantle, um, UFO expert from, he's actually from Leeds originally. Oh, really? Um, but he lives, I think he lives in Pontefract now, but yeah. So we've got him on, so it's, it's just one week. After another, we're just having these fabulous guests and learning about all this stuff. And I absolutely love it. Every week of Friday, I cannot wait for Friday. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I know I keep getting the um, the things popping up on my Facebook and I'm like, yeah. oh, no, I'm out that night. Oh. Yeah, no, Friday's <laughs> so popular much. night. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And so, um, sorry, oh, go on. Mondays I've started, um, that's 
a little bit different, but it's um, Eric Von Essex's channel. Um, he does a, a live stream every Monday and it covers, it covers all sorts. It can cover the paranormal. It can cover things like crystals. Um, there's a, a fella called Dave that comes on and does survival stuff and so it's a bit of a mix of everything but I absolutely love that as well my Mondays and Fridays are sorted and then obviously BBR every other Tuesday you're a very yeah. busy lady I know <laughs> well I have time to write book three <laughs> I hope oh, so oh it's brilliant it's so good being busy though isn't it and having yeah, it lots is. to do especially in the stuff that you're really interested in yeah being able to yeah. devote your time to that kind of stuff is just brilliant Oh, I know. I really hope that one day someone give me a job. Someone give me a job. Yeah. Um, I wanted that I could stop teaching and just yeah. do paranormal stuff, even if it was just like lots of little jobs. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to be in that position one day. But yeah, at the moment, I am a slave. I am ground to the millstone. <laughs> you can always have a dream, though, Michaela. Just keep that dream in, in, in your mind. I will. I will. I'm putting the thoughts out there. Give yes. me a job on paranormal television. <laughs> I'd love to be a presenter. Yeah. Um, so, a paranormal program. Oh, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, would. They'd have to stop me though, because um, I do tend to talk too much. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get a bit like that. Or sometimes I just clam up and can't think of anything to say. I know. I know. That's the thing. Um, can you leave us with uh, with one final story? Before we go, let me think of a final. Oh, I have got quite quite a recent story. Oh, good. Um, I don't know if any of your listeners know about um a lady that was found partially eaten in Moncton in Ayrshire. It popped up. It was all over Facebook. Uh, anyway, there's there's been no what the basically what happened was that last year. Uh, mid-December she'd broken down just outside Moncton and she'd ring she'd rung the AA and when the AA turned up the car was abandoned she was nowhere to be seen they set out a search and they found her in some a field a mile away and they said that she'd partly been eaten by foxes and badgers so as soon as I read the foxes and badgers bit I thought no I'm sorry I don't agree with that that's not what foxes and badgers do no. So I was looking into it, couldn't find any other details than, than the headlines that had been put out on the internet. There was no other, no name, no nothing. It just stopped there. So I've, I've for the Truth Proof website, I've, I've done the um, database. So what I've done is from book one to book four, I've taken all the accounts and I've put them into format and they've gone onto the database so anybody can look up anything. Yeah. So I'd got, Paul had sent me a copy of Truth Proof 4 and I was working my way through that and I was coming towards the end and the end part of it is not just stuff that's happened around East Yorkshire. He's gone a bit further afield. So I got nearly to the end of it and as I turned the page, I saw the name Moncton and I went all hot and cold and I thought, oh my God, the story that he's got in the book was from 24 years ago. And it was a girl that worked, there was a, a military base there. And this girl worked there in the offices. So she'd gone through the gates in the morning, through all the security and everything. And she was walking towards the office block. 
and at the side was like a big old wooden garage type storage shed. And she looked, she heard a noise and she looked over and she could see what she thought was somebody on the floor. Oh, sorry, no. She saw what she thought was a big dog, like a Newfoundland dog. Yeah. Then she thought it was somebody that had fallen over and was trying to get up. And she was sort of looking around to see if there was anybody else about. And when she looked back, it was stood up and it was a werewolf and it was eight foot tall. Uh. It was snarling and growling and walking towards her. And all this is like going through my mind, connecting it with the lady that had disappeared from the car. And because who would they put in the newspaper that she'd rung for the AA and gone for a stroll. This was 20 past 11 at night. You wouldn't do that. You don't go strolling through fields at 20 past 11 at night away from your car when you're expecting emergency services to come. Yeah. Anyway, all it was like a massive penny dropping and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's a, a connection. Anyway, my husband was in, in the man cave and he came through and he said, what's up with your face? And so I was telling him, he didn't believe in anything like this. So I was telling him and, and sort of telling him how we all connected and, so he said, oh, it's, it's weird that. Anyway, I got. I said, right, I'll do us some lunch. So I got up and went into the kitchen, didn't touch anything, and I reached up to get the sandwich toasty maker off the top of the cupboard, and it looked like something had grabbed me, and I got, I've got pictures of it, Hand, finger marks around my arm, but there were bruises, purple and blue bruises. Oh, and a blood blister in the middle. As I looked at the blood blister, these finger marks appeared. So I took, and I, could I hell as focus my phone on my arm to take a clear photograph? It took ages. Just wouldn't let me focus at all. Oh, gosh. So then I was like, I just stood in the kitchen staring and he came back in and he said, what the hell have you done? I said, nothing, they've just appeared. So he went, they look like finger marks. I said, I know. Yeah. Anyway, carried on doing lunch and kept looking at my arm. And in the course of a day, They'd gone from like badly bruised looking to yellow and grey, you know, like they were fading away. They'd healed. Oh, gosh. In the space of, well, not even less than a day. Yeah. And But the blood blisters left a scar. Anyway, later on, I was making tea. And I was, I'd, I'd not forgotten about it, but obviously I'd, I wasn't thinking about it at the time. And all of a sudden, every single hair on that arm stood bolt upright. And it was like my arm had been electrified. It was the weirdest feeling. And I was just stood in the kitchen, kind of looking at my arm and going, what's going on? I could see, normally when you look at your arm, you can't really see any hair. Yeah. But I could see every hair stood up on end. And it was, even when I rubbed it, it didn't feel, the, didn't, the hairs didn't go down. Oh, it was the strangest thing. Then later that night, I don't know if I had a, a live stream that night, but later on I could... It felt like something was pacing about outside. Yeah. I just got that. I could hear something shuffling. We've got a security light. Nothing came on. Security light's quite sensitive. Yeah. Didn't come on at all. But I could hear this pacing about and then a growl. And I thought, oh, knickers to this. I'm off to bed. I don't know what it is that I've conjured up, but I'm off to bed. Oh but, yeah, goodness. that was my most recent. Before Just before going to Dane's Day, I come at me. That was my most recent thing. Yeah. And when you went reached up for the um, toasty maker, could you feel something grab you? No, I never. Oh. Fe I, that was when I saw it. I never felt it. I saw it. 
goodness. As I reached my arm up, I could just see this this blood blister and these finger marks. But the proper, I'll have to send you the photographs, the proper yeah. finger marks. Like something's really grabbed my arm. Yeah. But for him to heal in the space of eight, nine hours, that's, that's not like bruises, is, is it? Yeah, it's Very, like fast, fast forward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very strange. So whether I've, I wouldn't say I conjured something up, that sounds daft, but whether something had realised that I was aware of it and it was letting me know that it was there, I don't know. I really yeah. don't know. But very odd. Ooh, I feel mm. like I ought to play the Twilight Zone music. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, damn nice it's spooky been... life. Oh, well, I'm going to have to have you back on and then yeah. um, you'll have to tell me loads more of your stories. But it's been oh, well, so this... fun talking to you. Oh, thank it's you. It's been really, really interesting. And Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's just, I love talking to people like you who've got loads of stories and you can kind of bounce ideas off each other. Yeah. It's just, it's just really fun. Yeah, it um, is. Oh, so I'm going to say thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you um, for having me. And I look forward to speaking to you again very soon and yes. um, interviewing you again in the future. Yeah. So it just remains for me to say, Thank you very much from the Paranormal or What podcast. And I will speak to you soon. Yes. Take care, Deb. Thank you. Thanks, love. Wasn't that a fantastic interview? I thoroughly enjoyed myself and I really do expect to have Deb back again at some point. Thank you so much Deb, that was really good. So there we are this week folks, that's about about all for now. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'm trying to increase the amount of content I'm putting out so that we can try to um, increase the amount of listenership that we have, so please help me with that. Also, please do send me your spooky stories and experiences. You can either email them to me at paranormalorwhatpodcast at outlook.com or you can do a voice message either on your phone and email it to me or upload it directly on the anchor.fm website, which is anchor.fm forward slash paranormalorwhatpodcast forward slash message i'd really like to hear from you so that's it for this week and i think it might be quite late now hopefully that tot of something hot and fiery or just hot has done the trick and hopefully you made it to the end of the podcast now all we need to do is say see you later for this week and see you again for some spooky, scary stories next week. You take care until then, and don't forget, together we can figure it out. Night.